0: And she has agreed to come to us this morning and tell us her story. Damaris.
1: Hello, church. Praise God. Just wave to me wherever you are and give me a smile. Hi, um, I'm from Kenya. I'm a firstborn of six children. I'm 29 years old. And I first got started getting sponsored when I was eight years old. And compassion is not just the best thing that ever happened to my life. It's part of me and I think it will always be part of me and my generation to come. Um, I'll say, talk about my family and me. Um, as I told you, I'm a firstborn of six children and we used to live in Madara slums who, For for those people who watch the telly about the Red Nose days and all those television charities that happen I was, I was born in those kind of slums, and I used to share our small house with my aunties, my grandmother, and my mom. My mom, sometimes she'll come and disappear, and because of that, we ended up being six with no dad. I have no idea who my dad is. And by the grace of God, compulsion was introduced in our small slum. And, you know, in that, in that time, we only used to see people going to school and having school uniform, nice shoes, nice boots, and without school was, was for the rich. So we never, ever imagined, like, I'll ever go to any school. We just brush it away from us. I remember sometimes when my grandmother was not able to have enough money, we'll stay without food for a whole day, and the only thing we'll just sit down is Sit down in the house in the darkness because sometimes our oil ran out, and just beat our tins and start singing, and hoping and praising God in the darkness. And sometimes we just sleep hungry. And when compassion came to us, they told us they take us to school. Although most of the parents didn't understand, they didn't know. They just thought okay. And then, just among the many. Many children. I got. I was among the first eight to get a sponsor. I'm not not because I'm perfect. I was actually really tiny to be seen. I'm 29. I'm this tall. You can imagine. At eight, I was really small. I was not perfect. It just the grace of God saw me at that small age, and my life changed completely. I was able to go to school. I've been to the best, best ever schools in Kenya. And it's just not because my grandmother was able to take me to school. It's just because of one person who decided to change my life. And what makes me happy and it encourages me every day, the person was a student. She was a school student. So you can imagine she used to get her pocket money. Instead of going to McDonald's, she'll pass over and save that money for me. And at that time when I knew she was a student, I thought, Maybe in England, they pay them to go to school. I never understood how you can have money to save somebody's life and change somebody's family. So even my family, we thought they really pay people to go to school in the UK. But you come to London, she saved a lot for me. She sacrificed her pocket money for me and it encouraged me. And apart from all that, She used to write me letters. She grew up with me like I was a small, she was about six years older than me, but she grew up with me. She encouraged me, noticed my potential and everything that I could do, and she encouraged me all all step of the way. My family was a very broken family. We are six, we don't have a father, we have a grandmother and a granddad, who, they're not really professionals, they were not teachers or anybody to afford giving us food they had to sell these brew for for us to grow up and so so like many other children in the in the in the slums most of the fam- most of the families they had to do some illegal stuff to bring the kids up and when the compassion noticed that because their families they had other children and they took only one of them so they took our guardians and our parents and t- Told them new initiatives on how to bring up the other generations. They, took, they taught them tailoring, carpentry, starting their own, own business haze. And through that, my grandmother died a very wealthy woman because somebody took a step and helped her. In a family where we had no hope, we had no direction in life, we have university graduates. We never thought, like, you know, when you tell people, like, you could have... Like, at that age, when you came to me, you told, you told me, I'll go to uni. I just laughed at your face, like, never. But rule somebody small, somebody young from school, the whole family, it changed the generation, generation, all the kids. We have only three to go, they're in high school, and they're still, they're coming out. I'm helping my mom to bring them up. And when I finished school and my brothers and sisters finished school, we were able to build a nice house in the countryside for my mom. We have built a very beautiful house. She's a big farmer. We took her to the hospital because she had mental issues when she was young. We took her to the hospital. She's now the greatest mom you can ever imagine. This is a mom I always thought it was my sister because she was nowhere to be seen. She's much, she's like a few years older than me, so I never even respected her at that time because she's my sister. But through prayers, through a lot of determination and reading, we took her to the best, best specialist ever. She's now the best mom ever. Compassion has not just changed me, it has changed the life of our children. I remember the letters we used to receive. I used to read them to my grandmother. My grandmother has never to be in any school. So, English was something really hard for her. So I had to read and translate it to her, she'll understand. Then, the, the memory verses from my sponsor, I read it to her. And then we'll be gathered in the house. And, you know, it changed my brother's life and my sister's. They, they came to New Christ at a very young age. And they knew Christ because somebody wrote a letter and encouraged us. She told me how to pray, how to have hope when there was no hope, how to just overcome the fears because from a broken Young age, living in the slums, you see all sorts of things you think that are normal. Like, I wish I can describe them. The re- things are really, really hard. Things we know are normal. But somebody helped me to break them out of my mind. I know me how to find new ways. I got a new direction in life, and my family has benefited from it too. Just because of one person. And through that first person, my family has changed. And now I'm changing another life's person in North America. I sponsor a little girl, and she's just beautiful. It just—it's. I'm happy because when I write to her, I'm like, I'm writing and I'm sponsoring her. It's supposed to be the other way around. I was sponsored. You know, it's coming to me. Now I have to start drawing again to remind myself of all those pictures. And I don't know, it encourages me every day. And now I'm working on a project to get young mothers from the slums because we have young mothers as young as 15 and 14 years old who they don't have any way to give to look after their children so i'm working on a project to help them up and give them new direction maybe teach them new skills and because somebody changed my life i know that's how i have to work for the kingdom of god praise god
0: about Jesus meeting some children. So would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10? It's on page 1014. Mark chapter 10, when Jesus said to the, let the little children come to me. Uh, So Mark chapter 10 and just a few verses from verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. Late uh, one evening, D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist of the 18, early 1800s, arrived home from speaking at a meeting. Emma, his wife, was already asleep, um, familiar scenario to the two of us, and as, his ex- as her exhausted husband climbed into bed, she rolled over and murmured, so how did it go, darling? Pretty well, he replied, two and a half converts. His wife was quiet for a moment, thinking about this, and then finally smiled and said, Oh, that's sweet, she replied. So, um, how old was the child? Oh, no, Moody answered. It was two children and one adult. The children have their whole lives in front of them. The adult's life is already half gone. Now, I wonder what mental image came into your mind when I read out his reply, two and a half converts. You know, did you, as well as, as Emma, immediately picture two grown-ups and a child, well, you wouldn't be the only one. In the first century AD, children were nobodies, insignificant and unimportant. Children had no rights. For example, if a child died under a father's beating, the father would more than likely be let off. It, it was just as if a child, a, the children, children were a possession to be used or disposed of, just like a slave. And today's world is no different. Where Stafford, um, as I said, the former president of Compassion, says this, "'No matter what the setting, children seem to be a second-rate mandate. No matter what the ill of society, it tends to spiral downward and eventually land with its cruelest and most smothering impact on our littlest citizens. Small, weak, helpless, innocent, vulnerable and trusting, they are the waiting victims for our simple neglect and most evil abuse.'" No matter what goes wrong, the little ones pay the greatest price. When hunger and famine strike a nation, adults become weak and hungry, but it's the little children who most often starve to death. When disease arrives, adults become sick, but the first to die are usually the children. When war erupts over ethnicity or boundaries, it's the littlest victims who pay the most tragic price. When pornography has run to its most evil and destructive end, it takes the form of child pornography. When prostitution reaches its sickest and most depraved, it becomes child prostitution. Our most valuable citizens have become the world's most disposable commodity. So Jesus' words are as relevant today in today's world as in his own. What Jesus said and did that day was extraordinary. His words and actions challenge how we view children, and they also challenge how we view ourselves. So first of all, he challenges how we view children. And what we've got to realize is that this isn't some sort of political candidate trying to drum up a few more votes by kissing babies for the camera. You know, Jesus had no ulterior motive he simply reached out to children for their own worth, to show their value, to show their unique place in God's kingdom, and even, even to use them as an example to the adults. And it, it, it shocked and surprised everyone around him, including his disciples. They didn't understand quite what was going on. And the newsworthiness of this event is clear in the fact that out of the, out of the four gospel writers, three of them include it in their accounts of Jesus' life. It was just one incident on one day, just a simple little act and a few sentences involving little children. But apparently, it was powerful enough to get written down and significant enough not to be forgotten. Now, most of us think that this story is a rather beautiful little moment when Jesus gathers children up in his arms and blesses them, insisting, you know, let the little children come to me. But that's not quite how it happened. There's a large crowd around Jesus, as usual, and there's a heated debate going on. Just look back at verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, a real thorny subject, really tricky, very adult, needing all of Jesus' attention. So a hefty debate starts up among the men at the center of the crowd, uh, with the women and the children there on the fringes. But they're beginning to push in. Do you see verse 13? Trying to attract Jesus' attention, wanting him simply to touch them. But the disciples, bless them, aren't having any of it. And they rebuke them, we're told. You know, shush, not now. Can't you see the master's busy with important business? You know, go on, clear off later. But when Jesus saw what they were doing, verse 14, he was indignant. He was indignant. Now, that word indignant doesn't mean that he was just a little bit upset. No, this is the same reaction Just imagine it. It's the same reaction as when he was in the temple and he saw the money changers ripping off the pilgrims. And he was so angry, do you remember, at what they were doing in God's house that he overturned the tables and he drove them out in disgust. Jesus was angry then and he's angry now. Angry enough, I suspect, that his next words would have been heard loud and clear across the crowd as he rebuked the rebukers. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. In other words, what do you think you're doing? Get out of their way. Don't you dare stop them coming to me. Don't you realize the kingdom of God belongs to such as these? And to understand this strong reaction from Jesus with his disciples that day, we have to go back to a conversation which happened probably only a day or so before um, that's recorded in chapter 9. Just flick back where in verse 33, we're told that he and disciples have been, his disciples had been on the road to Capernaum, and Jesus had overheard them arguing between themselves about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? And he, when he gets to Capernaum, he sits them down and patiently explains to them, look, look here, if anyone of you wants to be first, he must be prepared to be the very last. And he took a little child at that moment, he took another little child and stood him in the middle of them, verse 36, and he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And he said those, and as he said those words, he swept this little child up into his arms. Jesus was teaching them a vital lesson about kingdom values. Children matter to God. Children play a vitally important role in the kingdom. They show us how we should be before our Father. They show us the way into the kingdom. And here again, back in our passage in chapter 10, only a short while later, as I said, Jesus is having to tell them yet again the very same thing. A little less patiently, you get the feeling. Verse 15, I tell you the truth, he says. I tell you the truth. This means listen up in Jesus' language. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he might have added to his disciples, you know, you guys, you've got the childish part perfectly, you know, as was made clear on the road to Capernaum, you know, elbowing and bickering among each other. You've got that bit down to perfection. But what you need is to become childlike. Come as a child, Jesus says. Well, how does a child Come. What is this childlike qualification for entry into the kingdom of God? What does it mean for us adults to become childlike? Well, this is where the whole thing becomes difficult for many of us, isn't it? Because Jesus isn't just just challenging our view of children. He's challenging our view of ourselves. We like to think of ourselves as adults as strong and capable and uh, most of the time in control. We like to think we're worth something. We like to think that we've achieved something and that 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 will count for something in the end. Uh, Gary Haugen, chairman of IGM, responds to this by saying, at different times and in different ways, our Heavenly Father offers us a simple proposition. Follow me beyond what you can control, beyond where your own strength and competence can take you, and beyond what is affirmed or risked by the crowd and you will experience me and my power and my wisdom and my love. Jesus beckons me, he says, to follow him to that place of weakness where I risk the vulnerability of a child so that I might know how strong my father is and how much he loves me. But truth be told, I'd rather be an adult. I'd rather be in a place where I can still pull things together together, if God doesn't show up. Where I risk no ultimate humiliation, where I don't have to take the shallow breaths of desperation. And as a result, my experience of my Heavenly Father is impoverished. Because He says His power is made perfect in my weakness, not in my strength. And you know, it's very significant that immediately after Jesus' encounter with these little children, we're told He meets a rich young ruler a successful young man. It's no mistake that these two stories are put alongside each other. You know, we're meant to compare one with the other, to to be struck by the contrast between them. Because this young man thought he could earn his place. He thought because he'd been good in this life that it would make him good enough for the next. He thought that because he succeeded in this life, he would succeed in the next. But Jesus let him go. He didn't try to stop him. Whereas with the little children who had no rights, no achievements, no claims, Jesus said to them, come to me. Come to me. Jesus turns things upside down. Do you see? And it's as difficult for us to grasp today as it was for people then. People still think today that if, if they live a good life, you know, if they can show themselves to be upright citizens that it'll be okay for them in the end. If they've done their best, surely that's all that matters. But Jesus says here, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. Unless you come simply like a child and receive entry into the kingdom of God as a gift, unless you put aside all your rights, everything that says you've deserved your place, everything that says that this is some sort of reward, unless you count those things as nothing or as rubbish, as Paul says in one of his letters, then you've missed, we've missed the gateway to heaven. And this is hard. It's hard for all of us. So much in me wants to be able to say when I arrive at those gates, look, Lord, don't you remember me? Don't don't you remember what I've done? Don't you remember I, I was a vicar's wife all my life? You know, I, I served in your church, you know, I even did night pastors, and I did, I did children's work, and I, did, I helped, 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 helped with parenting and with marriage prep, you know, I did all of that. Everything in me, I know, wants to say that, but we're told it's nothing, because it's all about grace. And we're told, verse 16, Jesus took the children in his arms, and that's each one of us. He took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. The least of these had in a flash been elevated to a place of significance and prominence, you know, championed by Jesus himself. And this is an extraordinary story which, where Jesus subverts our view of children and he subverts our view of ourselves. It's, it's a radical rethink for us. He says to us, you who have no rights will be given the right to become children of God. And you who believe you have every right will probably go away empty-handed. This was the way into the kingdom. And and at this point, the disciples hadn't yet got it. (laughs) And you wonder, how could they have missed this central part of Jesus' message? You know, this had been the model of his life, leaving the splendor of heaven to be born in a manger. Choosing not to live among the rich and the powerful, but among the poor and the powerless. Coming not to be served, but to serve. Desiring not to be the greatest, but prepared to be the least. Not holding on to his throne, but choosing the cross. You know, this was the way. And this still is the way into the kingdom. I'm going to ask Brian to come up and pray for us. Let's stand, shall we?